0: Father God, we uh, recognize that love is war. It's not easy to love. Especially, Jesus, when you called us to love our enemies. When you called us to love those that are unlovely. Lord, it's it's difficult, it's challenging, it's hard, and sometimes it's all-out war. But God, I just pray that you'd help us to love well. Help us to be a church that loves God and that loves people. And that gives everything to those two causes. And Father, I pray that you would move mightily in our midst this morning. I pray that you would speak to the hearts and minds of everyone that's here. And that we would leave here changed. We would leave here uh, closer to you, Father. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. I'll tell you what. I think one thing our church knows how to do. Is sing, okay? I'm am sitting up here and uh, it's loud, like you guys are singing, and I appreciate that. I love that fact about our church that we know how to sing and we sing loudly um, in worship to our Lord and Savior. I I wanted to just take a couple moments. I just wanted to thank Reelin uh, for speaking the last two weeks, and I wanted to thank the church for letting us uh, uh, me and my family sneak away for a couple weeks. We went camping in Canyonlands, had a great time, went and saw the arches. Uh, we were kind of formulating a plan of how we were going to get into the park for free without having to pay. And when we pulled up, they said, "Happy Earth Day! It's free today." So we got in for free. I didn't have to pay 25 bucks. I'm really a cheapskate. I have to admit that. But man, God's creation is just amazing. It was it was a beautiful, beautiful experience and a wonderful time with our family. But. Uh, Yes, we are going to be starting a series today called The Summit. It's a five-week series, and uh, I believe it's going to be just really a powerful, incredible time for us to focus on the importance of leadership. And leadership is in everything. Here at Grace, we're convinced that good leadership is critical to the health, to the strength, and to the impact of Grace Church. Grace Church's effectiveness in pursuing Its God-given mission is largely dependent on the character, the devotion, and even the skill of its leadership. And that leadership, it can be formal, it can be informal, it can be the staff or the volunteers, it can be the pastors, or it can be you. The influence and the impact of Grace Church is at its best when Christ-centered leaders are building and growing a well-led church and even other organizations in our communities. And these are key reasons why we're going to spend the next five weeks talking and focusing on the importance of leadership. So throughout the month of May, you're going to see powerful videos of people who are using their leadership, people who are using their influence, to benefit the community around them in wonderful ways. You're you're gonna see and you're gonna hear stories uh, about a pastor in Denver who's ministering to orphans in a a marvelous way. And uh, you're gonna hear and see a story about a prison warden who leveraged his leadership to change the culture of an entire prison. Leadership church is critical, it's critical And everyone leads something. A family, a team, a small group, a business. You may be the most challenging person you will ever lead. Grace Church is at its best. When God's love and God's kindness, which is the gospel, it's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance, When the gospel pours out into our neighborhoods and into our towns through acts of love, through acts of justice and mercy and service and restoration. When leaders get stronger, when they get better, everyone benefits. This morning, I want us to consider a question that really pertains to leadership. And I'm going to ask it this way. What causes people to make the decision to summit? What happens before someone gets a vision to lead? What happens inside of a leader that is so powerful that it eventually gives birth to a vision and they have to do something about it? They have to act. What happens inside of a leader that causes them to leave a lucrative career? What causes... What happens inside of a leader that causes them to do an about face to take a hill or to summit? What happened inside of John Adams when he committed his life to see a new nation born, the United States of America? What happened inside of William Wilberforce that caused him to stand against slavery? What happened inside of my father, Pastor Bob Ross? That led him to give his life to the cause of building a thriving church in a little town in the Rockies. What happened in these leaders' hearts that caused them to do incredible things for the kingdom of God? I would say that most leaders have some sort of powerful experience that pushes them into leadership, that forces them to birth a vision that they can act upon. You know, I see an example of this in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus. It's it's actually the story of Moses, one of the great leaders in biblical history. In the story of Moses, we see an experience that I believe forced Moses into leadership, whether he wanted to or not. Let's look at the story. If you brought a Bible, it's in Exodus chapter 2, And we're going to start reading in verse 11. Exodus chapter 2, in verse 11. And it says this. It says, many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews. And he saw how hard they were forced to work. Now, let me just give you the context of what's going on here. Moses was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. He had been raised in Egypt by Pharaoh's daughter, And all he had ever experienced was the wealth and the education that came with being raised in Pharaoh's home. But Moses was not an Egyptian. He was a Jew. Most of us probably know the story, but the Egyptians had enslaved the Israelites. And they were working them to the bone. They were ruling them with an iron fist. And and the the Israelites, they had to make bricks in the desert heat. I mean, the Hebrews were slaves to the fullest extent. The text says, one day Moses went out to see his own people. And while he is watching the hard labor and the oppression of his own people, he sees an Egyptian. I believe it was an Egyptian soldier. But he sees this Egyptian beating one of his own people. He saw him beating a Hebrew. The text says, during his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Now, let me just pause here for a second. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw, up close and personal, a physical beating? Most of us have probably never seen one. I remember in middle school. By the way, I went to Smiley Middle School on 3rd Avenue. Okay, I grew up here in Durango. I went to Smiley go saints. Any fellow saints in here? Hey, Matt, that a boy. All right. Woo. We're outnumbered, Matt. I was going to middle school at Smiley. And uh, one day after school, two boys got in a fight across the street from the Smiley building. And uh, to this day, I don't know why they decided to fight, but as they were fighting one of the boys slipped and fell, like right in the middle of the fight. I think he went to Miller. And, uh, and the other boy pounced on him. And when the boy slipped, the other boy pounced on him, and he began to throw punch after punch after punch into this boy's face. And the boy on the ground was knocked unconscious. And the other boy kept throwing punches until he had to be pulled off. And thankfully he was pulled off, because who knows, he probably would've killed him. But to this day, I can remember the awful sounds of fists hitting another boy's face. I, I can see the blood, to this day, it's in my memory. It was an awful experience. You know, beatings are tough to watch. They're really tough to watch. You never forget the signs, uh, the sights. You never forget the sounds. You never forget the horror that's involved. So Moses is, is watching an Egyptian guy just beating. He's smashing the nose and he's spattering the blood of one of his fellow Hebrews. And Moses gets to the point. Where he can't take it anymore. The sights, the sounds, the blood. It it was too much for him. Something snapped inside of Moses. Let's look at verse 12 in chapter 2. After looking in all directions, he's looking around, making sure no one's looking. To make sure no one was watching, Moses... He comes to the defense of the Hebrew and he gets into a a fight with this Egyptian man and he kills the Egyptian. And the scripture says he hides the body in the sand. The scriptures go on to say that Moses goes out again on another day to see his people and to see the enslavement and the oppression. And this time he sees two Hebrew men fighting it's the same sounds, it's the same sights, it's the same smashing of teeth, it's the, it's the sight of blood, and Moses breaks up the fight between these two Hebrew men, and he says, why? why? Why are you fighting each other? Like, what are you thinking? Our people are forced into labor, we get beat by Egyptians every day, isn't that bad enough? Don't fight with each other. Come on, guys. Moses saw all the frustration and the enslavement of the Hebrew people, and it took him over the edge. And he couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it. Now, I want us to to fast forward to the famous burning bush story in Exodus chapter 3. Most of you know it. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses comes to a bush that's on fire, but it doesn't burn up. And that and at that bush, he hears the voice of God. And I used to think that it was this incredible moment with the burning bush that scared Moses into leadership. But I think the burning bush was just a way for God to get Moses's attention. It was just enough to slow Moses down so he could hear the voice of God. Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 10. Listen to this. It says, I, God, have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. And Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. I believe God is saying, Moses, that day you felt anger like you had never felt it before. When you saw the Egyptian guy just beating the life out of that Hebrew slave, when you saw the two Hebrew men who were so frustrated and helpless and hopeless that they were fighting each other, the things you've seen, Moses, I've seen them too. Moses, the things that you've heard, I've heard them too. And you know what, Moses? I can't take it anymore either. Moses, I'm choosing you to do something about it. I see the passion in you for your people. I see a man who can't just sit by and watch people enslaved and beaten up. And I see what it does to you, Moses. I know you want to take action. I've been looking for that. I've been looking all over and I've found the man I want. And I'm going to use that frustration, Moses. I'm going to use that anger in a very positive way to set my people free. You know, in my humble opinion, it's experiences like this that forces a leader to step up. That forces a leader to summit. They make a decision to take a hill Because they can't stand the current situation anymore. I can't take this anymore. I've got to do something about it. When Moses was fed up seeing the Hebrews enslaved and beaten, he was now open and he was ready to hear the voice of God. Let me ask you, church. What wrecks you? What is it that you can't take anymore? Whatever that is creates the tension in you that propels you to take action. I want us to look at just a couple other examples this morning. Let's talk about King David in the Scriptures. When King David, he wasn't a king yet, but when David was a boy, his father told him to take some food to his older brother's who were in the army. And he gets to where his older brothers are, and there's an enemy giant, if you remember. And this enemy giant is just trash-talking the God of Israel. The Israelites, the army of Israel, this giant is so big, they're just frozen in fear. They're unwilling to do anything about it. They're unwilling to act. And David hears this barbaric giant, bad-mouthing God, the God that he loves. And he can't take it anymore. He looks around and everyone is just locked in fear. They're unwilling to act. They're unwilling to stand up to this giant. And everyone is saying, he, he's nine feet tall, man. He's nine feet tall. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. I'm only 6'2". He's got a couple feet on me. I'm, I'm out. I'm not going to do anything about this. Not me. Not me, not me, not me. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else do it. Not me, not me. It drives David to the point. He has to take action. Next thing you know, in the scriptures, in this story, you see David running full speed towards a giant with nothing but a slingshot and five stones. It's just raw passion raw passion but god sees this raw untamable passion in david and he aims that stone like a laser guided missile and he takes out the giant what about nehemiah here's a man who had a had a good paying plush job working for a foreign king One day he gets bad news that back in Jerusalem, his hometown, the walls had been broken down. The city was on the verge of being devastated and neighboring countries were mocking the God of the Israelites. Nehemiah thinks about it and then he thinks about it some more. And what does this powerful leader do? He breaks down weeping. He thinks about God being laughed at and he thinks about his people being destroyed and he can't take it anymore. And he risks his life by going to the foreign king and he says, king, I need to take a a very long leave of absence. Um, I need a bunch of equipment and I need a bunch of your resources Nehemiah leads one of the most incredible reconstruction efforts in all of history. But what led him to that decision? What forced him to make the decision to summit? He couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't just stand by and let his hometown be devastated. Church, what is it that wrecks you? Martin Luther King couldn't stand racism. The racism that was all around him in the fifties and sixties, and he couldn't take the, the whites only signs on the drinking fountains, on the restaurant doors and the bathrooms. He couldn't stand the fact that blacks were made to sit on the back of the bus, or that they couldn't sit at the same counter to eat some eggs and pancakes couldn't take it anymore and he made the decision to summit and you know that decision cost him his life but he couldn't take it anymore let's let's consider my life for just a moment i grew up in a community full of brokenness la plata county is full of broken homes and broken people I began to to look around in my hometown and it seemed like all I saw was brokenness. I also saw a bunch of churches that were extremely inward focused and they were so self-absorbed and there was all kinds of inward fighting and bickering and church split after church split and they couldn't have cared less about people far from God. Couldn't take it anymore. I I wanted to be a part. I'm like, oh, God, just, I want to be a part. I don't care if I'm leading. I just want to be a part of a church that did everything in its power to see families restored and marriages healed. I want to be a part of a church that truly loved and served its community. A church that saw people changed by the power of the gospel. You know what? That's what motivates me. And I've surrendered my life to that cause. Yes, there's days that I say, I want to do something else. I'm out. Somebody else do it, man. It's a big giant. here I am <laughs> and can I just say and by the way we are taking that hill okay as you can see it's a rainy day there's a few empty seats but we're running out of seats it's hard to find a place to park next Sunday we're actually going to two services and who knows maybe in the future we'll have to go to three services four services shoot maybe we'll have to do church every day that'd be incredible Let me just say, reaching people is hard work. Love is war. It's war. Reaching people means the budget will always be tight. It will never be convenient. If you're looking for convenience, this is not the church for you. Because it will never be convenient. At times, it will be unmanageable. But you know what? We're not called... To manage. We were called to by all means. Save some. Everything. In your power. By all means. Go for it. What hill are you going to take? What wrecks you? Is it oppression of some kind? When you're around extreme poverty does that wreck you? When you see homelessness, does that do something inside of you? When you see orphans or abused children, when you see immoral business practices, or maybe when you see an ineffective, slowing, dying church, it just wrecks you. What about lame, mediocre Christian movies? Does that wreck you? What about twisted politicians? What about seeing young people live aimless, reckless lives? Does that wreck you? I hope you know, church, what wrecks you, because it's probably wrecking God. And He's probably looking for someone to do something about it. I think I need to take a chill pill. Let me give you some practical considerations to finish the sermon this morning. And I just want to start by saying that not every social problem is your personal assignment. I mean, there are problems upon problems upon problems. But I would say that we should all be looking for that one thing. What is that one thing that grabs your heart and it just won't let go? That one thing that leads you to the moment where you can't take it anymore and you ask, God, do you want me to do something about it? And if you do, I'm willing. What's your one thing? While I've been talking, if you can't identify your one thing, I just want to encourage you, don't give up looking for it. Don't give up too soon looking for your hill to climb. Open your heart. Open your eyes to the needs of the world. Here's some practical thoughts. Travel more. Travel. Maybe you need to expose yourself to some of the great needs in this world. Go on a missions trip. Man, that'll open up your eyes. Team up with Love This Town. And just start serving your community. Just start serving. Man, that'll open up your heart. That'll open up your eyes. You'll begin to see things you've never seen, experience things you've never experienced. And I believe if you do those simple things, there will come a time when God will stir in you and you'll say, I've got to do something about that. I can't can't just stand by. When everyone else is locked in fear and they're unwilling, I'm going to grab my little slingshot I'm going to pick up a couple rocks and it's go time. What would happen? This is my opportunity to dream just a little bit. What would happen if pastors of local churches in our area, what would happen if leaders of small groups, business leaders, husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, teachers, professionals what would happen if we all took action and we did something about the things that wreck us what would happen what would happen if leaders humbled themselves what if what would happen if we let go of our pride we let go of our fear we let go of our need to please people We let go of our need to be in control. Because you know what? The cause is too important for us to mess with that garbage. We can't waste time with that nonsense. Can you imagine what would happen if we all made the decision to summit? I'm going to give my life. You know, I, I guess I'm just foolish enough to think that it's possible but you are the one that has to decide what wrecks you. You know, there's a huge difference between a professional pastor and one who has been wrecked by God. I never, ever want to be in a church with some professional pastor who's just putting in time so he can go golfing when he retires. I want to be in a church That is led by someone who has a fire burning inside of them. Someone who says, I have to do this. To be honest with you, I really don't want to, but I have to. So what hill are you going to take? Where's that chill pill? (laughs) Wow, man. I haven't spoke for two weeks, man. I'm getting it all out this Sunday. You know, the last thing I, I want us to consider this morning is the importance of self-leadership. Okay, when you make that decision to summit and you say, I'm going to take that hill, when you decide to lead, remember that, that, that one thing that wrecks you can wreck you. It's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get dismayed. You can get overwhelmed so quickly. It's so easy to get beat down. And you know what? Far too many leaders are giving up. Far too many churches are closing their doors. Far too many business leaders are just saying, Hey, I'm in love with money, so I'm going to make bad decisions. Church, we we cannot let hope die. We have to keep believing that with God all things are possible. We have to believe that lost people can be found. That wandering people can come home. The sick can still be healed. The poor can still be lifted out of poverty. We have to believe that God still answers prayer and we have to believe that god will always make a way always if hope dies in a leader the cause dies self-leadership self-leadership we have to make sure that our tanks are full that we're not running on empty That's where edification comes in. That's the importance of the body, is to build one another up. Can I just say, church, I believe this day that in Jesus and through Jesus and because of Jesus, hope is still very much alive. I believe that sin really can be forgiven, that prayer works miracles, and relationships can be restored we have to claim that hope we have to proclaim that message of hope to everyone that god gives us the privilege to lead and to influence so i want to ask you a really dangerous question what wrecks you so much gosh so much is at stake in our broken communities in our broken world. What hill are you going to take? Because whatever is wrecking you is also wrecking the heart of God and He's looking for someone like you to do something about it. And so I pray that you will make the decision to summit. To those of you who've already made that decision to summit, let me ask you, you said, hey, I'm giving my life to the cause of Christ. Let me ask you, are you risking enough for it? In what life are you going to go all out for the cause, for the kingdom of God? This is the only life you got. Are you doing everything in your power? Have you made the decision to say, with God's help, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to bring hope and help to the brokenness that's around me? And I pray that you will. There's nothing better to give your life to. I pray that you will give your one and only life as a living sacrifice to the holy God. And you lay it before Him and you say, God, whatever the heck you want to do with this life, you do it. You do it. You know, this idea of self-leadership, it's so important that we as a church, we decided to do something about it. You know, one of the main responsibilities of a church is to equip, to prepare you, the saints, for the work of ministry. To help you become better leaders in your home, in your church, in your business, in your world. And so, we made the decision to host the Global Leadership Summit, August 11th and 12th. What is the Global Leadership Summit? It's a live two-day event. It's telecast in HD from Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago. It's a world-class event featuring world-class leaders. And it's affordable, and here's the best part. It's unapologetically Christ-centered. And it's going to be right here at Grace Church, August 11th and 12th. So this morning, we're actually gonna just show you right now a little four-minute video, and it's called Summit Impact. And I just wanted to give you a little glimpse of what the Global Leadership Summit is all about. So we're gonna show this video at this time. If we care about anything, if we care about our families, if we care about our churches, if we care about our businesses, if we care about our society, we better care about leadership. But we do choose either to be sinners or saints, to be nobody or heroes. If you want to be a hero, do what God wants you to do. The signature of mediocrity is not an unwillingness to change, but the true signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. People say, you know, failure is not an option. Oh, yes, it is every time. The great leaders are those who understand that and are always ready to deal with that kind of failure. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God is doing, because it's already blessed. I want you to take the light that I've put on the inside of you and I want you to go and penetrate that darkness and illuminate that darkness with the life and the hope of Jesus Christ. We want to be great leaders. He okay, then let me give you this not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. One of the jobs of a leader is to make guys like me feel six-four with hair. Leadership is helping people to see their own leadership qualities and potential. Lead in the things that matter to God. In Jesus' name, stop saying you don't have the ability and start saying I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength to do it. Vision is the picture of the future that produces passion in people. Vision makes the present experience indefensible, unacceptable. People live for visions, and more often than you would think, people die for visions. Visions are powerful things. It's such a joy to now know that there are 600 or even more sites and venues, pastors, and really great leaders all around the world who are reflective before God and asking God to speak and lead and touch and guide when that happens at a summit that's when you realize how unique this event really is here Scott Boyer received a prompting to start a transformative pharmaceutical company to provide one standard of epilepsy treatment to the entire world Sean Wolfington responded to a whisper from God to produce the film Bella on Adoption Greg Rochelle was prompted by God to start a church. At the summit, God changed my life. I remember thinking, God, if you let me start a church, I promise I'll start something just like this, believing that the local church is the hope of the world. We hear stories like this every day. But this isn't just the outcome of one leader. It's the outcome of many leaders. 96% of attendees said they gained courage to lead amidst opposition. 81% of attendees cited concrete ways their supervisor had become a better leader. And 10% said they did not quit their leadership position because of the summit. To this day, I don't understand it fully. What the Holy Spirit anoints on our stage, stays anointed. It'll have the same impact to an under-resourced, poverty-stricken pastor as it will a very sophisticated uh, pastor from London. Same impact, same message. We don't have all the answers of how that can be, but we just know that it happens. And we're very committed to seeing this spread as time goes on. Father God, speak to us by Your Spirit. I pray that You would keep this on the forefront of our minds until all of us can say, "I'm I'm making the decision to take this hill. I'm making the decision to summit. I have one life to live, and I'm not going to give it to the things of this world. I'm going to give it to the things that will last for eternity. The things that stir the heart of Christ, and I'm going to give it my all." until the day I die. I pray that you would make that true, Father. Make that true for all of us. And I ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.